Hi, this is Ami Joseph. Welcome to another edition of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. With me today are Andrew Friedman and Felix Wong from Hedgeye Communications and Hedgeye China, and we'll be discussing a series of investment topics. And Andrew's going to kick it off for us. Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Ami. Uh, <laughs> what is the past couple of weeks have been pretty wild. Um, I mean, especially in my space uh, with Viacom, Discovery, Felix, I know a lot of your... Chinese, uh, China internet names got hit uh, with the hedge fund blow up. Um, curious, like Felix, like what, like what was your take on it? You know, like on the call, uh, I think last week or earlier this week, you gave some interesting context of kind of like how it, the dominoes started to fall and how everything un, kind of unwinded. So, you know, I'd love to just kind of pick your brain and get your perspective on it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so for those who don't know what happened this past week, there was a big hedge fund car, Archigos um, Capital. It's headed by a guy named Bill Huang. Uh, he's not Chinese. He's actually Korean. And he's, he's, he's kind of an uh, infamous celebrity in the Asia hedge fund circle because he did start up Tiger Capital Management, one of the biggest hedge funds. I'm sorry. Tiger Asia Capital Management. So it's like the, the Asia division of Tiger Capital Management, one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. But then he got caught for insider trading uh, about a, a few decades ago. So he was barred from trading in Hong Kong. And then this thing happened uh, on Monday. Um, uh, so basically what happened was a, a, a flurry of bad news hit his hedge fund, and his hedge fund was at least five times levered. So what that means is if he bets 100 of his money, he's borrowing five times from investment banks like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, to lever that bet. So, you know, if things do well, he makes a lot of money very quickly. If things don't go well, just like this past week, he gets blown up extremely fast. Um, I would have guessed we would have learned the lessons now on leverage, but I guess, uh, you know, well, we took that it, risk. It was like, well, I, I mean, I don't know if this is to be, like, true or not, right? But I, I read that he was basically pledging this, the same assets as collateral with, like, every single bank <laughs> Yeah, for these yeah, total return swaps or, like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just, you know, it's just incredible. And, and and he used those swaps, right? So swaps are basically very complex derivatives. Um, and because he used those, it was very difficult to see how much exposure he had in his portfolio. Some estimate about $80 billion of exposure, which is incredible. Um, but there's no one found in the filings because he didn't use direct, you know, direct equities. He used derivatives to, to play. So what happened was, um, well, first off, the first piece of bad news was from a Chinese company. It's an e-cigarette company called RLX. Uh, it just debuted it actually in, in, the, in, I think it's NASDAQ or it could be NYSE. And um, bad news from, from the government, they're gonna go and e uh, regulate e-cigarettes. E so anyway, the stock tanks 50%. Then about six hours <laughs> later, <laughs> six hours later or so, you get 
the Viacom news of, I believe, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, there was like some kind of offering, convertible bond offering. Yeah, no, they, did, they did a secondary and it was a convertible secondary. preferred and it's like yeah. an 85, yeah. So like, that's bad. So keep this into perspective, right? So this, this Bill Huang uh, fund is all TMT, so technology, media, telecom, China, and uh, so all of the bad news happened in our space, uh, including Ami's space as well. So you have this e-cigarette company, then you have Viacom, and which took down also Discovery, right, at the same time. And then you have an education company called GXX, who is heavily shorted. Well, Bill Huang is not short that company. He's long it. And there's some bad news again on the regulation front, on the education front. So that stock gets hammered 50%. So all this happens within maybe three or four days, right, um, at most. I think it's less than that. So what ends up happening is a snowball effect, and he has to, because he was highly levered, he gets margin calls from a bunch of banks who are lending him that money to play with fire. Nomura, <laughs> Credit Suisse. Well, well, wasn't it? Well, yeah. so he didn't under uh, like he he didn't. From my understanding, he didn't own the underlying, right? So like, so then what? Like, I guess the banks had to basically, uh, you know, buy the underlying stock and hold it, and then you know when he had when when the margin call hit, they they effectively had to sell the stock on his behalf. Is that is that kind of the right way? To, is that kind of how it played out? Uh, I, I I didn't I I don't fully understand what he did, so yeah. I'm not in, you know uh, <laughs> I, I don't okay. know uh, yep. to answer the question, but it seems very complicated, and uh, he did enough to not get attention to himself in building up such a massive you know amount of uh, exposure, but he did enough to hurt himself when things go wrong. Well, um, yeah. well, well, I got yeah. I got a question for you. So it obviously caused a lot of dislocation. For for me in my space of like Viacom and Discovery, I mean it's probably like the most well timed short call I'll probably ever have in my career. Um, yeah, you know, and it all happened so fast um, as it often does. But you know, in that case, it was just you know an equity that was you know pretty obviously mispriced just looking for a catalyst to crack. Um, but, you know, in, in your space, it's interesting too. So, and, and you know, it was a, it's been a tough couple months for China, um, China investors on the long side. So, you know, of the names that kind of got hit, like which ones do you think are like creates the most opportunity, you know, in that kind of dislocation? Like, are there like one or two stocks where you were like, oh my God, you know, this is crazy. It, this is such a great value here. If you can just, you know, afford to just step in and provide that liquidity, provide that support that, you know, this is probably going to be a home run, like, if you just can look out, like, three years from now? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a difficult question. I actually, when I saw this dislocation happen, I was actually focused on my other stocks, not necessarily the ones that were hit, because I felt like the knock-on effect was just, you know, purely on this hedge fund getting blown up. It has nothing or very little to do with the fundamental side. Um, 
But that's also a very tough question because it wasn't like he got blown up, so the stock went down 50% or so. There were issues with these companies, right? And because he was just overexposed, it just went down a lot faster than what the headlines would suggest on the, you know, on the fundamentals. Um, I'm not going to say any names that, you know, I'm, I currently like, but what I would say is this created a massive buying opportunity in my internet space that on, particularly on names that had, you know, had been punished because of this massive drawdown, but it had nothing to do with Bill Huang's hedge fund. Um, there was some hedge, there was some stocks out there like Tencent Music, Baidu, IQE that got absolutely destroyed. Which, by the way, which because, by the way, dude, that that Tencent sell call, like after basically what you you made the call middle of last year, stock doubled, had a good earnings report, but you were like, all right, we're out, and then the stock just goes down massively after. Is that? I mean, that's that's pretty much what happened, right? I mean, it's a great call. Yeah, yeah, I was, well, it was lucky timing, but you know we have fundamental support behind taking off Tencent Music at that time, and thank God we took it off because that thing got hit fifty percent too. Again, thanks to Bill Huang, um, but it's not just Bill Huang. That's the thing that you know investors who are listening to this need to be careful of. It's not just a big hedge fund massively getting blown up and nothing else happened. There was a reason why Tencent Music was falling more before this whole thing blew up, it's again due to regulation, antitrust, potentially breaking up Tencent's empire. You know, all of these things you have to take into consideration. So, you know, I bet some investors were trying to get out before Bill Huang basically got out after them in in a very big way. Um, But yeah, look, Tencent Music, to your point, uh, it was a good timing trade for us. you know, I, I can't comment on this name right now. I'm doing some work on it um, at current levels. But there, there, in my space, there's just too much things going on. You can't just um, – All right. Well, the, regula- well, how about the regulation well, environment, yeah. So well, good. Good. well, no, I was going to say it's a good segue, right? So, I mean, um, why don't you just kind of, you know, like what has been going on, right? Because there's been all this volatility in China. You mentioned regulation. I'm sure there's other factors as well. Um, I mean, maybe you could just, you know, I'd love to kind of just understand a little bit more about, like, all these exogenous factors that, you know, obviously impact the fundamentals. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, regulation in China, it's obviously, you know, more important, I think, than it is in the U.S. For At least it touches a lot more of your companies than it does mine. In my space, it's, you know... You know, obviously, telco, cables, regulated, you know, the Internet companies, Facebook, Twitter, always get dragged through the mud. Um, But at least, you know, (laughs) you know, the government kind of stays out of kind of like the day to day. They're not as involved. So I'd love to kind of just understand a little bit more of that recent dynamic that's been influencing your sector so much um, that you were just referencing. Yeah, absolutely. So. Obviously, the government plays a big role in China. Everyone's keeping an eye on what the government says, do what, you know, any kind of uh, body language 
through some of the high ranking officials. So when they decide to do something or suggest a different type of thinking to a topic, um, people pay close attention to that. So let me give you an example. You know, the two sessions um, that was just concluded last month, two, two, two sessions is a very important, probably the most important parliamentary meeting um, in China. And there were issues discussed during that, during that session. And if you paid attention to them, you may have get an idea of where the government could be targeting, whether it's enforced, you know, increased regulation or taking out some parts of, uh, of a particular ecosystem or, you know, getting more involved in certain areas. So there's a lot of things they can do, right? And one of the things was education, okay? Um, and surprisingly, no one on the sales side caught that. Um, now, I mean, to be frank, we're, we're long a company that is an you know, online education name, but for various reasons why we decided to hold on to it. Um, but that's beside the point. Right now, what I wanted to point out is, you know, the government is very important. You have to keep an eye on, and they release a lot of notices. You know, they call them notices, kind of like press releases on what they're thinking, some guidelines that they're thinking about on the regulation front. Maybe they open up a public forum and, you know, say, hey, we're thinking about this. What do you guys think? Please submit your comments. And then we'll go from there. Meanwhile, they're getting tons and tons of complaints, whether it's through media channels, um, newspapers, on various different issues in various different ecosystems, right? And sometimes, you know, this year it doesn't get discussed, but it may be discussed in the next two years or next three years, uh, just because there's just so much going on in China. So it's very important to keep an eye on what what the government says. Um, unfortunately, you know, the response could be quite exaggerated, particularly if there's increased regulation. So, for example, on Tencent, we had a buying opportunity on Tencent when because people were afraid they were going to break up the fintech empire. I I don't think it's that exact. You know, I think it's a little bit exaggerated here, um, but there are risks right? Th things are going to change. Some long-term practices are going to change in fintech. Uh, that's for sure. So, you know, you have to figure out how that's going to impact the company, what kind of value could be lost, and I'm sure all the analysts are going through, through their models. But 2021 could be the year of regulation for China. So, you know, that's on top of so what does that look like? What, what, is regulation, what, what, what does regulation in China look like? I mean, when you say that, like, like, is there different scenarios? Is there, like, what, what would be the biggest, I guess, what is the biggest thing that they could do, crack down, you know, that would impact yeah. the fundamentals of your space? Well, the, the biggest thing is they could nationalize the company. They could just take it over, um, become state-owned. And they've done that to a couple of private enterprises in the past. I believe one was a hotel, uh, HNA. 
and there was another one I'm blanking out on. But they have nationalized their assets, uh, split it up, basically dissolve it, right? So that's in the extreme case. Um, I, I, you know, I, those are very few, very rare examples. So what's, regulation, what's, the high, what's the high probability outcome? Uh, what do you mean by high probability outcome? Like, I mean, like what's, I mean, it sounds like nationalization is probably like, like it's the worst thing. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. It's, it's, I see like, what you it's, mean. it's your tail risk, right. but it's probably yeah, not the high yeah. probability. The, uh, no, the highest know. probability is look. Uh, the, the highest probability is we're watching you, what you're doing. Uh, don't do anything that could be illicit, illegal, against you know against uh, um, some cultural values. Um, otherwise, you know, we will have to um, enforce some kind of rectification on your operations. So that's the majority of what they call regulation. Most of the time, it's just a simple slap on the wrist, you know, a very insignificant fee telling you, hey, we're watching you. Please don't do this. Please don't do that. That's most of the time. Um, Sometimes it goes further than that. They actually restrict certain transactions, restrict certain certain relationships you can have. Um, you know, whether it's conform. You know, so right now the big topic is anti-monopoly, anti-competition. So they're watching very closely the type of acquisitions you've made in the past, type of relationships you've had, uh, how you've grown your business. Uh, and what is reported to the government, what has not been re reported to the government. Anyway, th there's a lot going on. And I, again, this is just my speculation, but I have to blame Jack Ma for all of this. Um, if he didn't open his mouth during that infamous October speech, probably the regulation headwind that we're experiencing in a lot of my sectors is probably not going to be as bad um, but because he opened his mouth and, you know, directly, uh, well, I won't say directly, but indirectly basically said, you know, the government should not enforce these regulations. So now we're in a world where the government is going to. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tricky to figure out what those are, right? Uh, you're kind of operating a black hole on what the government's going to do but everyone's on the edge of their seats to see what those changes could be. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Okay. So that's all I, I'll say, say on that. It's very open. Yeah. yeah. I, actually, you know, I want to, along those lines, and, you know, we're just kind of going with the flow here, but Ami, um, you know, uh, you, you've been around the block. Um, you know, I guess what has been the biggest, like, policy regulation impact that you've seen in your career, you know, as it relates to the fundamentals of your company that's like really just, you know, either it was either maybe it was a a total sea change event or maybe it was just something kind of smaller on the margin um, that kind of creeped up and eventually either impacted your thesis or the way that you view a certain space. Um, I'd love to just kind of pick your brain on that one. Uh, well, I, first of all, I, I, thanks, Andrew. I have a question also for Felix, just 
um, as part of my answer, Felix. Do you think that Chinese, like it used to be for a while, the Chinese government was trying to solve for one equation, which is economic growth. Um, are, is that still number one, or is now something like some kind of social harmony? I don't know. That's maybe not the right word, but some kind of other priority on seeding economic growth as the number one priority. Um, I guess that's like kind of like a follow-up, uh, Felix, on your side. On my side, I would say that typically – okay, so there's a few things. One is deregulation has typically been kind of like the ca a catalyst that has um, unlocked equity investments for entire sectors and and maybe even sort of fueled part of the telecom boom of the 90s. So I would say there's there's that, and I, I think um, so. That's th it's kind of like one topic that comes up. Um, typically, I've seen the U.S. government, maybe by design, always be slow with regulations, like especially financial regulation, or or at least like SEC. Um, typically, seems to be you know, kind of like behind the times um, a little bit. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to come up with something, Andrew, where I saw yeah, like a major I guess I guess it might have been a better – yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, in, in my space – I mean, yeah, I guess it's probably a better topic in my space just given, you know, telecom and everything that's going on in the Internet space. Um, but, again, I don't have as much, you know, background as you do, but I – you know, my, I, I guess if I throw the question to myself, uh, it's just interesting to see the, what's going on currently, especially in internet. Um, cause like, if you look about like, there's this really good book, um, and it goes through basically the history of regulation uh, in the United States and the antitrust and everything that's going on with, Facebook and the big tech platforms is very similar to like what happened with like AT&T and Ma Bell, like, you know, in the early 1900s, like, um, and you know, the fact that they wanted to be regulated because there's just so much uncertainty that was kind of spilling into their day-to-day -day business operations that really made it hard for them to function. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today and you have Zuckerberg that's, you know, been on the record, very vocal, asking to be regulated because it's very difficult for them to navigate. Um, now, what does that look like? It sounds a lot like what Felix is kind of talking about in China almost, except, you know, I've X the nationalization piece, right? But, you know, just trying to basically figure out, you know, how do these companies, you know, operate um, from a privacy, from a data perspective, you know, do you what level of regulation do you actually impose? Um, what are the rules? Do you take Section 230 and do you throw it out? Do you alter it? Um, and it's going to be really fascinating to kind of see because, you know, there should be some type of rule book and maybe self-regulation is the answer. I mean, Twitter at their investor day, they just they spend like you know, a good chunk of their investor day talking about kind of building like the, the self, the self-regulatory framework um, that they're trying to build out. 
you know, you have fact-checking networks that Facebook has kind of levered in the past. So maybe that is the maybe that is the solution. I don't know, um, but it's definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, I, what I would say, like as part of that, I would say that I guess like the maybe what I was trying to express, but not so eloquently, is that I would characterize, if anything, over the last forty years, is receding United States regulatory climate um, has been a bigger topic. And occasionally we get these fear moments about government involvement, either in breakup or in M&A or in um, industries or, for example, in GDPR for coming around. And all these things in the, so far have been more fear in advance than reality afterwards, even just thinking about the Microsoft like DOJ threat from 20 years ago where the DOJ tried to go after Microsoft and break them apart because they were too powerful. Um, there's, by the way, like a connecting um, theme or thesis across the different parts of this conversation, even just from the beginning, which is that if you look at the, you know, the big hedge fund that just blew up and it happens every so often, right, in our world that some giant hedge fund goes belly up and we all look at, oh my God, our positions are moving left, right, and center and what kind of crazy derivatives or swaps were they using? Always, by the way, one of those. And the, there's a little bit, I, maybe I'm, maybe my memory is I'm cur over curating this, but long-term capital management blew up about 18 months before market top in, you know, 98, 2000. And then, um, and then the, a number of hedge funds inside Bear Stearns blew up um, a certain period before Bear Stearns went away. Lehman was similar. Um, and then, you know, Archegos now maybe is signaling that we're, I, I guess maybe, I don't, I don't want to call it top or anything like that, but I think what maybe the, the, the similarity is that when you're at long, uh, the end of a long tail of equity speculation, there's a lot of funky stuff that's happening, including even uh, companies that have been super successful, like Mark Zuckerberg whining about needing more more regulation, Twitter figuring out how to do it themselves, the government back and forth about, you know, do we leave these companies alone so that we can let job growth and capitalism flow, or do we cut them up because they're hurting the little guy, and all this kind of back and forth. This, there's a rhyme to all of this that happens towards the end of long, prosperous cycles where speculation gets ahead of itself and a, a, a uncovered calls or these large, massive swap positions are allowed to be $80 billion of swap positions without <laughs> the assets underneath are, are allowed to be put in place because, hey, things are good. It'll all work out. Anyway, it's kind of like a thought just from the arc of the conversation that we were yeah. talking about. No, that's that's good. I, I, I guess the other thing I'd just say is that if I ever can if I ever can turn like any amount of money into ten billion dollars, like if I start levering that up five times, like and you know it, just like tell me not to, just like slap me in the face because it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Well, Andrew, let's <laughs> talk about your credit card bill this month then. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Hey guys, yeah. I, I have a question for for both of you, just very quickly. I know we're running short on time here, but like, 
do you think this one hedge fund could be like could it be a chain reaction in other words uh maybe i mean with your example of long term management uh sorry i, I forgot the is it long term capital management? management yeah yeah long term yeah, john john Merriweather's firm yeah right what happened after they blew up the other smaller hedge funds blow up as well because they were implementing a similar strategy i'm just curious to see if like for example, like with with, with companies like Viacom, Discovery, Andrew on your side, do you think other hedgies who are big owners of this maybe have implemented similar strategies in their next? In other words, well, put this yeah, snowball well, into something bigger. Well, what happened back then was that the Treasury was worried about that, and so they called together all the bank Wall Street banks and said, you know, bail out LTCM. And some of them said yes, and some of them said no, and basically there was a bailout and a workout, and they worked it out. And then, you know, as the funny part is that as John Merriweather kind of like helped through the workout, this is the, the, the founder of the hedge fund, um, he finished the workout and then started the next hedge fund, and that blew up in 20, 2009. And then he shut that down, and then in 2010, he started the next hedge fund. So, so I fully expect try, try again. the, founder, try, try the again. founder of Archega, you know, hey, we live to play another day. I fully expect the founder of Archega to be back in the market pretty soon with a, with a new a new one. But, um, yeah, I, I don't. No, uh, Felix, it, it's, I think like the volatility over the last six months is more likely to cause, you know, other hedge funds to go under. But I guess maybe I wouldn't be that surprised to read about another one over the next week or two. I, you know, we'll see. That, that could be a really appreciating question. Uh, Andrew, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. No, I mean, look, I, I think, <laughs> you know, we, you, in this role, you kind of get a, an idea of like, sentiment and positioning and who owns what, right? Like we we don't know, right? But you kind of get an idea. And in the case of MySpace specifically, you know, Viacom and Discovery, um, it's not like those were well loved names by the buy side, right? Like they were sell side hated them, short interest was really high. Um so if anything, you know, the fact that they blew up actually might be a good thing <laughs> for a lot of hedge funds and a lot of buy side shops because you know, they either didn't own them and it was a part of a big part of their index. And so that was bad from relative performance standpoint, or they were short them and it was a really, and it was hurting a lot. So this kind of unwind is, you know, I think it probably helped more people than it hurt. Um, at least in terms of quantity, I'm not sure in terms of dollars, but that's just kind of, you know, my thought um, just from my little neck of the neck of the woods. Cool. Oh, I just wanted to quickly respond to Ani's question um, on the China side. Um, yeah, look, everyone's focused on growth. Um, they want, you know, China, of, of course, has growth goals. They put out, I think, 6% or so for the next five years. But don't quote me on those numbers. But my point here is, you know, they want to have growth without excess uh, things, uh, for lack of a better word. And the NIPO was pretty excess, pretty speculative. And, you know, this was going to be the biggest IPO in the world. It led to incredible demand and humongous valuation. So that 
the government doesn't like any kind of financial access. And now they're going to change that. So you won't see any of those, well, maybe not right now, but um, anything, you know, outrageous in terms of IPOs, anything outrageous in terms of what people are doing on the M&A front. Um, they just want to be in a more controlled, benign growth trajectory is my understanding. But of course, growth is, you know, paramount. No one likes to go into a recession if regulation is, 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 a pro is, is the problem here. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, you know, I guess it's a delicate balance between trying to organize growth and trying to keep a lid on it at the same time and make sure that it doesn't um, become too speculative. Absolutely. I think you put it better than me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, how about we call it? I think it's, uh, it's been a good one. Um, you know, another episode in the books. We'll get back together in a couple weeks here for the next one. Um, I'll have a lot more to talk about, I'm sure. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.